Hi, everyone. Welcome to January 22nd, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Gazzutti. Thank you so much for joining us. The inauguration this week of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris could mean quite a few changes here in Colorado, particularly in the effort to address COVID-19. On his first day as president, Biden laid out plans for more vaccinations, more testing, and increased mask mandates. He also signed off on rejoining the World Health Organization and extended the holds on student loans and evictions. Patty Calhoun from Westford, as always, we start with you. Uh, from what we saw this week, and the beginning of any administration is always a flurry of a lot of immediate actions, but what do you think will make the biggest impact looking back here at Colorado? Well, so far it seems to be Bernie's mittens that I'm sure we'll all be wearing them when it finally gets cold again in Denver. It was extraordinary when you think how nervous most people, I think, were on Wednesday that something very, very bad could have happened, that we are all breathing this collective sigh of relief and laughing at Bernie's mittens, which made the biggest fashion statement at the inaugural. There were so many other amazing scenes, though, besides the fact that the fields of waving flags, because there were no people, Um, The sheer lightness, I think, in a lot of ways, even at such an august ceremony, the relief of people who went out, the former presidents who came out, there was so much to see. And then Biden taking action very, very quickly, um, jumping out on COVID, even when, of course, we were getting the very bad news that not only are there no reserves, even if there were reserves, there are no plans for how to get the reserves to people. So at the same time, everyone suddenly is feeling very optimistic. We also know that we've still got some long, dark days ahead. Well, speaking of optimism, we go to David Kopel from the Independence Institute at DU Law School. David, uh, what were your key takeaways from the first few days of the uh, Biden administration? Well, I think a lot of people felt uh similar to when they heard President Ford uh, being inaugurated after Richard Nixon had resigned to avoid impeachment and conviction uh, when President Ford said, our long national nightmare is over. And Biden's speech had a good, calm, civil tone uh, in that mood. Uh, But even for the people like 99% of the media who covered it, uh, who considered Trump to be a nightmare, of course, there's still a continuing uh, COVID nightmare, and, and Biden got off to a very weak start on that. He, in the afternoon, he signs this national mask mandate for federal property. And then in the evening, for his big party at the Washington Monument, there he is with no mask on. His mandate says wear masks on federal property in compliance with Centers for Disease Control guidelines. And the CDC has exceptions when you don't need a mask, like if you're under two years old or if you're on a hike by yourself in the wilderness. Uh, But they don't have an exception for, quote, celebrating an evening of a historic day in our country, which was the excuse his press secretary uh, later gave for him following Trump's uh, model of not setting a good example. Uh, He's also following in Trump's bad bad footsteps uh, by continuing the the, uh, so-called eviction uh, moratorium. And unlike the mask order on federal property, which plainly is within the president's discretion, uh, the federal eviction bans on very shaky legal ground, and it's very unfair. Imagine some old, older person uh, who owns a three-unit building, makes a little income by renting out two units, and happens to have two deadbeat tenants uh, who, don't, who could pay but don't want to pay up and are using the CDC thing as their uh, opportunity to freeload. And then rejoining the World Health Organization, which actively participated in the Chinese Communist Party's cover-up of the virus, told the world that uh, the virus can't be spread by human-to-human contact, gave out crackpot advice telling people not to wear masks. 
it's, it's a political organization controlled by China. And if he were as good a diplomat as, as he thinks he is, he would have gotten some improvements in the WHO before re- rejoining. Eric Sonneman joins us after a uh, long national trip uh, in an RV. So we don't have time to, ex- uh, to examine that here on the show, but it would be a, a fun to he- uh, hear back from that. Of course, always uh, as a columnist for Colorado Politics. Uh, Eric, what were your uh, thoughts as you saw all the different actions coming out this first week? Is there a chance for some bipartisanship when it comes to tackling COVID from the Biden administration? Well, it's good to be back, Dominic. Yeah, the road trip was uh, was wonderful, but that's a separate discussion. I identify uh, with where David started in terms of the comparison to Gerald Ford, as well as a lot of Patty's remarks. Uh, I think what was notable about this inauguration was as much the departure, who left, as it was who arrived. I think much of this country, certainly not all of it, because we remain a very divided nation, but much of this country just let out a collective exhale. Uh, much of the world let out a collective exhale. The visuals were stunning. I'm not sure the words of this inaugural will be remembered all that long, uh, but the visuals of this inaugural, of everyone in mass, of them disinfecting the lectern after every speaker, and mainly the social distancing and just the absence of any real attendance or crowd to speak of, uh, those will define this time as so many other pictures have defined this time in terms of what the future holds. uh, We can only wish that there is some degree of unity. It's not going to be kumbaya, but that there is some improvement, at least at the margins, um, as President Biden takes office and as the Democrats now control by very narrow margins both houses of Congress. Penfield Tate, attorney with state uh, with the attorney with Tate Law and a longtime state lawmaker. Penn, it's great to have you on the program. Uh, what were what were your takeaways when you looked at uh, the kind of impact that these first few days of uh, President Biden's administration can make, and also the role that Vice President Harris is going to be, be playing in the Senate, which is pretty pivotal a fifty fifty match. What are your thoughts? Well, Dominic, it's good to be here with you again this week. Uh, And I will tell you, I I agree with much of what's been said. I think President Biden's remarks at the inauguration were pitch perfect. Um, There was not a whole lot of detailed sort of policy nerd um, information, which I think was a blessing in the minds of many people. But he struck the right chord in the right tone. I thought it was well structured and put together. And of course, the young poet laureate. Uh, was just phenomenal. Uh, but the message was good. And I, and I think his rapidly following up with a number of executive orders addressed the things and, and, and just addressed some of the, the style that people took issue with, with his predecessor, um, announcing that we were joining the Paris Climate Accord again. Um, doubling down on the need to wear masks on federal property, David's criticism notwithstanding. Um, talking about the fact that we need to really expedite and intensify the process of getting the vaccine out there. And joining the World Health Organization, you, you may have take issue with how it operates, but the signal it gave was that really America was rejoining the community of humankind rather than retreating and being isolationist. And and I think that was an important tone for Biden to set, and he did. 
the, the vice president is going to be a huge player because you've got a 50-50 split in the Senate, and she's the tiebreaker on everything. And we'll see some interesting jockeying around these first few days as Mitch McConnell longs for the days when he wielded absolute power. Those days are gone, but I'm sure we're going to see a food fight with him trying to, to, to grasp as much power in the Senate as he held before. Governor Polis has predicted that one in five Coloradans that are 70 or older will have been vaccinated by this week. In an effort to speed up the distribution of the vaccine, state officials have ordered vaccine partners to immediately issue vaccines that were set to be second doses. Meanwhile, the Colorado Convention Center has been closed down and will no longer be used as a site for potential patient overflow. David, this move at the Colorado Convention Center seemed like a big deal because it could open up both what the convention center is built to do when it's safe, uh, but also it's a sign that we don't think we'll need that overflow. Uh, too soon, too late, what did you think? I, I'll, I'll trust the judgment of the, the people who made that decision, so maybe, maybe just the right time. You, you remember back from March Madness last year when it was 15 days to stop the spread, to flatten the curve. It wasn't about eliminating the virus. It was about preventing hospital capacity from being overwhelmed. And the, as the decision to close the center is an indication that that's, uh, we're, we're there now. Uh, the, so great news. But the, the unknown is the new variants of the uh, things that are not classic Chinese Communist Party virus, uh, but the mutations of them, which may, may spread more rapidly. And those could be hitting Colorado perhaps in a matter of weeks. So there's a real race uh, between fast vaccinations for the most vulnerable versus when the, the, the mutants arrive. Eric, when you look at uh, the different policies coming forward in Colorado, do you feel Colorado can get more vaccines into more arms uh, faster in the months ahead? Well, one certainly hopes for, and at some point we're all self-interested in that as well. Uh, I think we knew and we commented going in once the vaccine was developed and, and ready, uh, ready to go, that in some respects, from a scientific point of view, the hard work had been done. But from a logistical management point of view, the hard work was really ahead. This is a massive logistical challenge. It's a challenge that hasn't been going all that well, whether in Colorado uh, or in other states around the country. The supply just hasn't been there as promised. Uh, if Joe Biden is going to fulfill his promise of 100 million uh, vaccines in the first 100 days, uh, the math of that is pretty easy. You need a million a day. Uh, and we are not, we've only been at that level for one day, I believe. So we need to be at that level on a sustained basis. Let's hope Governor Polis can make sure Colorado gets its fair share uh, of those vaccines and that we can get them into arms. That said, my 90-some-year-old mother received her shot yesterday. So obviously it is happening out there, uh, but it is happening a lot slower and more tenuously than many of us would hope. Penn, you're familiar with all the different parts of state governments. When you look at something this massive and this important, uh, does this rest in the governor's office? Can the legislature or should the legislature get involved? Is Are there other, uh, I guess, governmental levers of power that should be at play here with something this big? You know, Dominic, this this, this pandemic and how we're addressing it, it, it it's kind of uh, an interesting case study and sort of shows what's happened in Colorado over the years. The state's gotta lead the way, but the reality is, is the state um, government has been so reduced over time 
that um, its ability to run a massive operation like this is really going to be strained. The governor, I think, is doing the right thing by leading, by telling the feds that we need more vaccine, that we need to have it on site because we haven't gotten our fair share. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a testament to the governor to note that Colorado is in the top 10 among states that have done a good job of getting the vaccine out. But the reality is, at the end of the day, to make this process effective and efficient, the state is going to have to devolve it down to the to the cities and, and counties and local governments, because those are the folks who are going to be in the best position with state support to make sure that more and more people show up and get vaccinated. And I think we're going to see that that the, the various bans or the various priorities get modified um, sooner rather than later. I, I'm still interested to see how the science evolves in terms of whether it's better to get more people one dose of the vaccine rather than wait until a number of people get two doses. Uh, but um, I, I'm inclined to believe that some protection is better than no protection for as many people as possible. Patty, the whole idea of the convention center no longer being needed for patient overflow is first great news, but I think it also admittedly give people a glimmer of hope that the convention center could be used for what it's supposed to do. Clearly not anytime particularly soon, but does it give a glimmer of hope for folks' uh, businesses in downtown Denver? Well, sure, and it gives a glimmer of hope just for people who are saying we're, we're near the end. Good for Eric's mother, because I can tell you as someone who's been trying to sign up, my mother on alternative uh, sites. It is not easy to maneuver this. And you, I mentioned it last week. People over 70 who aren't really computer savvy, it is so confusing. I know Polis has given counties until really today and different health care providers to make sure their sites are working. He's speaking right now as we tape. He was on CNN this morning and he acquitted himself very well. But let's hope during this lull, while we wait for more vaccines to come, we clear up the communication so the people desperate and in that very vulnerable group are able to get the vaccinations, and then we can keep going through everyone else. Uh, and yes, someday we will all be back downtown on the newly renovated mall, but it's not going to be right away. <laughs> An next complaint has been filed against Denver Mayor Michael Hancock due to his travels to visit family for Thanksgiving, despite advising citizens to stay home. The complaint was presented to the Board of Ethics this week, who voted unanimously to, for Hancock to issue a formal response. Hancock states that while it may have been a lapse of judgment, there were, there were no ethics violations. Uh, Eric, we start with you on this one. Uh, is this another ethics complaint just being used as a political tool, or is there something there? Not sure. I trust in the sincerity of this woman, Tanya Wilson, who filed the complaint. No one, as you know, Dominic, has been tougher on Michael Hancock around this instant incident um, than I have been. I spent my Thanksgiving day largely writing a column uh, critiquing him and critiqued him in very sharp terms. Uh, but this was a failure. of It was hypocritical on Mayor Hancock's part. It was completely tone deaf. It was the antithesis of political leadership. And it was a failing of personal morality. All of that said, I'm not sure it really falls into the category of public ethics, where an ethics commission needs to get involved. He has paid the price politically, as he should have paid the price politically. Um, I'm not sure that this justifies a public ethics kind of censure. Uh, and I'll be curious what the ethics commission ultimately does with it. Uh, Penn, you haven't had many opportunities to agree with Mayor Hancock on issues. I'll give you a shot at this one. Was this an ethics violation or was it a lapse of judgment? 
Well, uh, you know, I agree with much of what Eric said, but but part of me, um, my response when I when I heard the explanation out of City Hall and they said um, it was a, a lapse of judgment, my initial response was uh, again. Um, we over and over and over, we see these issues develop. And what we hear out of City Hall is we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't do anything illegal. It was just bad judgment. And you get to a certain point where there's so much bad judgment being exercised over so many different issues. I, you know, my, my dad used to say twice as a pattern. Um, you have to ask yourself, is this really just bad judgment uh, occurring Um inadvertently, accidentally, or is just this just a repeated pattern? And, and I think to Eric's point about the mayor paying politically, there's a reason for that. I think so many people in our city believe these are not just isolated, inadvertent instances of bad judgment. It's kind of like Donald Trump. This is what it is. Um, and at some point, you have to accept the fact you're going to keep seeing exercise of bad judgment. Patty, is this evidence that this issue is going to linger for a while for Mayor Hancock? If he were running again, it would be lingering longer. But of all the bad judgments we've seen from him, and we see plenty, say, in the airport he was flying out of that day, where we should never have had the contract with Ferrovial, which has cost us many, many months, many tens of millions of dollars, there are certainly better cases of ethical lapses and bad judgment for investigation on the Hancock's part. In this case, it was I would say it was purely bad judgment. It was unfortunate timing to tell all the rest of Denver to stay home when he was flying out of that airport boondoggle, but I don't think it rises to an ethical violation. Just stupidly. Criminal stupidity. <laughs> Criminal stupidity, uh, certainly uh, a lot of categories there. Uh, David, does is this an appropriate use of an ethics board? It's... Hard to say for sure because, as, as far as I can see, the complaint hasn't been actually made public for people to review it. But I, I did read the Denver Ethics Code for city employees enacted by the city council, and it covers things like gifts, doing city business with family members, having an outside job when you work for the city, using public office for private gain, disclosing confidential records, all things that involve what the, quote, direct official action. And that does not seem to cover uh, hypocritical vacations in any way. Uh, but as for a pattern of bad judgment, uh, but often involving Denver International Airport, uh, Mayor, former Mayor Federico Pena uh, turned that into a cabinet position, so don't count Mayor Hancock out. <laughs> Let's get a quick take on this last one. Former Colorado lawmaker Bree Bruntello is suing U.S. Representative Loan Boebert over being blocked on Twitter. According to Bruntello, while Boebert claims she supports free speech, her, her silencing of constituents proves otherwise. Uh, Penn, we start our quick takes with you on this one. Uh, a big legal issue here. Isn't there already precedent on this one? Well, I'll let David do, David do the legal analysis. Let's just say it's the epitome of bad judgment. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. When you're, when you're Bobert, you can't take the platform and rail against Twitter and Instagram and, and Facebook for censoring some people, and you turn around and do the same thing. So watch what you say. Uh, Patty, in this case, uh, the, the lawyer involved is David Lane, so I don't think anyone in Colorado takes lightly, uh, but this does seem to just be feeding a publicity machine. What do you think? Well, it's not like Boebert really needs any help feeding that publicity machine. Even with her press secretary having quit, she's getting more attention than almost anyone else, partly because she just threw out three bills yesterday, uh, threw out three bills out there. But if you are a public official 
and you have a public site, you have to keep it open to the public. And that's the line she crossed. There is precedent. She's going to wind up losing this. Maybe she should just stay off Twitter for a while anyway. I do not see that one happening, Patty. Uh, David, uh, legal side here, has this already been decided? Well, Boebert's Twitter feed is not exactly something you would follow if you, your objective is concise and in thoughtful comments on current events. But it's like a wise column by Eric Sonderman compared to Buenatello's, Buenatello's Twitter, which is a rage fest. It, it, it's really kind of shocking to see this kind of stuff coming from someone uh, who was recently a state representative. Any normal Twitter user would block someone so unhinged as that. But unfortunately for Boebert, uh, the judicial precedent is she's not a normal Twitter user. When she's an elected official tweeting about her uh, official actions, uh, she can't block members of the public from following that account. Eric, we go to you to wrap it up. I think Penn and David have made clear what the law is and where this is likely to head up. I would just simply say maybe for today, we certainly have a theme of the show, that being bad judgment. Instead of Colorado Inside Out, maybe the closing credit should read Colorado Bad Judgment. I think that was actually a proposed title of the show, just Bad Judgment. Uh, uh, in 29 seasons, I think we've probably lived up to that more often than we would like. Uh, but let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, I'm happy to say I can retract a disgrace from last week. The um, unusual uh, insurrectionist who was trying to make it to the Washington, D.C. to shoot uh, Nancy Pelosi in the noggin was not a Colorado. He just happened to have been here on a ski vacation. So we are, can now say Cleveland Grover Meredith, who has been arrested, but it is not a Colorado. He's from Atlanta. But we had our own um, bad behavior here, bad judgment. The flag burners on Wednesday, on a day that was really pretty peaceful, it was fine. There was an immigration rally to let the kids out of detention. That was great. We didn't need leftists to burn a flag at the Capitol. David. President Biden's inaugural speech had some good words about reducing animosity. But a few, days, a few hours later, he revoked an executive order that protected federal government employees from, quote, race or sex stereotyping or scapegoating. The federal government has no legitimate interest in race or sex stereotyping and scapegoating. That kind of misconduct is contrary to the spirit of the Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendments, which guarantee everyone equal protection of the law. Eric, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Sure. Our former president, whose whole idea of draining the swamp as he exited office, just showed the ultimate cynicism of that slogan. Uh, not only were there the pardons for the Steve Bannons of the world, but on a local level, Bo Brownstein, son of the infamous Norm Brownstein, power broker, uh, not only locally but nationally, received one of those pardons. You have to believe political influence was at the center of it. Uh, and then Trump had come into office with a lobbying ban to try to get rid of the revolving door of where people go into lobbying. And in his final 24 hours, he revoked that ban so many of his people can now uh, uh, throw out their shingle and open up their lobbying practice. Completely cynical. Penn, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Uh, I agree with everything Eric said, and I'll name the same person, the outgoing occupant of the White House, um, who, who simply um, closed out on the same note that he started with, which showed uh, a, a complete absence of grace or respect for traditions. And at some point you hope 
that the lesson sinks into him that if you don't respect other people and respect traditions, you cannot expect anyone to respect you. So I'm going to say something nice about somebody, Patty. It's a big, been a big week for events, including today is Dr. Justina Ford Day. She was the baby doctor who delivered 7,000 babies, mostly in five points in this area. She was not allowed to practice in a regular hospital because she was black, female, but she really exemplifies some of the great spirit of Denver. 150th birthday today. There's a um, right as we're filming this. There's a new program on a two-hour program that you should be able to tune in on the Black American West on her history. She probably literally delivered much of the history that we enjoy right here in Five right. Points. She's, her house is like five blocks from here. David, all the teachers in Colorado and around the country who are going back to work, and so that after almost a year of, of so much devastation of, of education, some children are going to be able to resume learning. Eric, you go to you for say something nice. Penn referenced her earlier in the show, but Amanda Gorman, the poet laureate uh, who spoke at the inaugural, it was just a wow moment. Such talent, such presence, such poise, and such insight and the ability, the wordsmithing to put it together. She'll be a presence who's with us for decades and decades to come. I'm told there was another speech given at the inaugural, but I think most of us remember Amanda Gorman. Penn, let's go to you for your Say Something Nice. Sure. Well, Patty, thank you for the shout out to Dr. Ford. I was going to mention that, so let me pivot. Um, We lost someone today who I think was probably, in my mind, one of the greatest um, baseball players in my lifetime. Hank Aaron died today at the age of 86. Um, best known for breaking the home run record that was previously set by Babe Ruth and enduring all of the racial taunts and the slurs and the death threats as he was simply trying to do his job and play baseball and be the best player he could be. He was a wonderful man. He was a wonderful role model. Um, and his like may not pass our way again soon. He'll be, he'll be, be missed by many. Well said, Ben. Here, here. Uh, and I want to get in and say something nice, fun as well. I think we do a good job around here about acknowledging uh, both our, our, our parents around here, uh, dads who have influenced us, and of course our moms. We've heard that from Mrs. Calhoun, Mrs. Copeland, Mrs. Sarneman. And on Sunday, my mom celebrates her birthday, so I'm taking my advantage uh, uh, here of having a, a TV uh, way to send her my own TV birthday card. Happy birthday, Mom. Hope you have a good one. And I want to thank all of you again for uh, supporting Colorado Inside Out. If you missed it last week, we've begun our 29th season, and we do not take that lightly. 29 years of being having the privilege of being in your homes is only made possible because you are still with us. You're still watching. And whether you've agreed with what we say or uh, don't agree with what we say, you're still tuning in, and that means a lot to us. We want to make sure all of you at home uh, know that, and thank you for making these 29 years possible. So for everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.